Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Crossroads and Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. I hope you've had a great weekend and looking forward to a even better week this week than last week. As we enter into this new year of 2021, I hope it's off to a great start, trusting that God is going to continue to be faithful as He always is. Well, in this episode of Crossroads and Culture, we're going to be looking at part two of the fake news of progressive Christianity. We're going to be talking about another gospel, if there is even another gospel. And we're just going to jump right into this. Uh, in the next few weeks, I'll be talking about more aspects of progressive Christianity and what they believe about Scripture, what they believe about sexuality and gender, and maybe a few other um, beliefs that seem to run as a thread within progressive Christianity. But today, we're going to be doing part two as we talk about another gospel, um, you know, the, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the believers in Galatia, he was troubled and concerned that they were so quickly deserting, that were, those were the words he used, that they were quickly deserting the gospel of the true grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. It was a, it was a false gospel. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Now, let me give you a little bit of context about this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, to the believers who are there. There was a group known as the Judaizers who had teaching that had infiltrated the church there in Galatia. And these Judaizers believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they believed in order for Gentiles to be saved, to be true believers, they had to become Jewish. They, they had to follow the laws. They had to be strict followers and adherents uh, of the law, uh, primarily being that of circumcision. They, they said in order for you to be a true believer, that you had to be circumcised if you were a Gentile. So really what it was for them was it's Jesus plus all these other things. And what Paul was saying is that's not the case. You don't have to be physically circumcised in order to be a true believer in Jesus. Um, he was saying that salvation comes through Christ alone. So there was this teaching that had elements of truth to it, but there were also a lot of elements that were false teaching within that church. And so that's why he's writing this to them, and that's why he's saying, I'm, 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 I'm astonished, I'm, I'm surprised that you're so quickly deserting the gospel of the true grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which, again, was a false gospel. Now, those are strong words, and rightly so. And by strong words, I mean saying to them that for those who preach a different gospel, um, that they are to be accursed. Those are strong words. His concern was that they were abandoning the truth for a lie, one that was, as with all false teachings, culturally acceptable and, and approved. John Piper said this concerning the false gospel that had infiltrated the Christian community within Galatia. He said this, Quote, and what makes that underlying truth in the text so powerful 
is that the different gospel in the churches of Galatia was not a religion from a foreign land. It was a close counterfeit to the real thing. The people in verse 7 who were perverting the gospel were professing Christians. They probably belonged to the church in Jerusalem and knew its leaders. He references Galatians chapter 2, verse 12. He goes on to say, This different gospel was not on the order of Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam. It was an in-house distortion. It was promoted by men who called themselves Christian brothers. And he references Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. And the quote ends. So with progressive Christianity, it's become, as Piper says, an in-house distortion. This issue was of such grave importance that Paul repeated what he said about those who preached a different gospel, be it men or even an angel from heaven, and he used strong language to indicate the destructiveness of such a false gospel. Paul used the Greek word anathema, which means that they are cut off from Christ. That's harsh, but if nothing else... It reveals not only the worth of the gospel, but also the great cost of the gospel through the substitutionary atonement death of Christ. Richard Rohr, who you'll probably hear me reference in the coming weeks as well as we talk about progressive Christianity, he's a Franciscan priest who, and founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation, as well as the author of several books, and he's gained uh, an audience with those who've become um, I guess, disenfranchised with and disillusioned by the evangelical church, many of whom are millennials. Certainly, it's not limited to those who are millennials, but a large portion of the audience that he kind of per- kind of connects with are millennials. His influence has marked the lives and the teachings of notable Christian, and I'm putting the word Christian in quotes here, right? Um, the not- notable Christian leaders such as like Rob Bell, Jen Hatmaker, Rachel Held Evans, Brian McLaren, William Paul Young, who he's the author of The Shack. Maybe you're familiar with that. Just to name a few. And so in a blog um, that was posted by Richard Rohr that was entitled Jesus and the Cross, Rohr said of the crucifixion of Jesus, quote, salvation became a one-time transactional affair between Jesus and his father instead of an ongoing transformational lesson for the human soul and for all of history. I believe that Jesus' death on the cross is a revelation of the infinite and participatory love of God, not some bloody payment required by God's offended justice to rectify the problem of sin. Such a storyline is way too small and problem-oriented, end quote. In other words, Rohr denies what Jesus validated in the scriptures. It doesn't take long to see as you read through Old Testament passages such as Isaiah 53, and there are several others, And the gospel accounts as well that the prophets and Jesus spoke of his death as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Author and social critic Oz Guinness quoted theologian Reinhold Niebuhr to describe, and Reinhold Niebuhr was a theologian in the early 1900s. Um, He quoted him to describe Rohr's version of the gospel when he said, quote, Rohr's cross is the very different cross of modern modern liberalism that Reinhold Niebuhr describes so perfectly as a God without wrath bringing men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross, end quote. In essence, um, Niebuhr concisely summarized the core belief of, of progressive Christianity. It's, it's a God without wrath towards sin, a kingdom without walls, in essence, and a crossless gospel. That, that my friends, is not the gospel of the Bible. 
In addition to denying the, the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ, another aspect of the salvation theology of those who consider themselves to be progressive Christians is universalism, which basically says that all people will, in the end, be saved. Now, you can read Scripture and see that that's just simply not true. Even Jesus said, there are going to be many who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not? I mean, fill in the blank. All these religious things, all these good things, so to speak. And Jesus said, but I will tell them on that day that, that I never knew you. Depart from me because I never knew you. Perhaps the saddest words written in all of Scripture, but there will be those who will think that they're Christians because of all of these rules or all the things that they have done, good works, so to speak. Maybe they went to church, they tied, they did all of these things, but they never turned from their sin by repenting, confessing of their sin, repenting of their sin, and turning to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and following after him. Jesus says that he will say to them on that day, depart from me for I never knew you. I never knew you. So the scripture teaches that, that there is um, one way to salvation, and it is through Jesus Christ alone. And so that is the exclusivity of the gospel. It is for those who know Christ. The gospel is inclusive in the fact that God offers his salvation to every person, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But the gospel, gospel is not inclusive in the sense of saying that everybody's going to be saved just because God is a loving God, and so everyone's going to be saved because of that. That's not what Scripture teaches. Yet, universalism says that all people will, in the end, be saved. In his writings, Rohr says this, salvation is not a question of if, but when. He also says, we're all saved in spite of our mistakes and in spite of ourselves. One of uh, the people who've been influenced by, by uh, Richard Rohr is Rob Bell, and many of you may be familiar with Rob Bell. Um, years ago, his NUMA videos, which were very creative um, and thought-provoking, uh, has written books as well. And in his book, Love Wins, he writes this, quote, A staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. It's been clearly communicated to many that this belief is a central truth of the Christian faith, and to reject it is, in essence, to reject Jesus. This is misguided, toxic, and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear, end quote. And that is, again, from his book, Love Wins. Now, no doubt, no doubt the world needs to hear the message of Jesus, the, the gospel that does um, have within it love and peace and forgiveness and joy. And the world desperately does need to hear this. But what the world needs to hear is the full truth of the gospel. And that is that we are accountable for our sins, that without our sins being atoned for by the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, that we are hopeless, that we are dead in our sin, and God will pour out his wrath on sin. That is the whole counsel of God's word. And that's what makes the good news good news. You can't have good news without knowing the bad news first. And the bad news is that we've been separated from God because of our sin. But because God is loving, he sent his son Jesus so that we could have eternal life. But to say, to say that believing that there is a literal hell um, 
and and to to not and to say there's a, there's not a literal hell, and then just to preach this message that that just spread the spread the love of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the forgiveness and joy of Jesus, without talking about the destructiveness of sin and the consequence of that. That is unloving. It's unloving. And again, this quote that that Rob Bell um, has mentioned in his book Love Wins is again it it speaks of universalism that everybody's just going to be saved. Jen Hatmaker, who is a, a talented writer and seems generally nice from what I can tell. I've never met her. Um, I've seen videos of her and her teaching. Um, maybe you've even seen her show on, I think it was on HGT, HGTV for a while. Um, she seems like she's a genuinely nice person, from what I can tell. She is, to her own admission, uh, greatly influenced by the teachings of Richard Rohr, which I believe is greatly problematic for the reasons that I've stated. I don't disagree with having conversations with or interviewing those who hold different beliefs than what is biblically true. As a matter of fact, I believe those conversations are crucial in order to gain some understanding as well as an opportunity to present the truth of Scripture. It's altogether different, however, when a, when a person's errant view or theology is accepted and even celebrated under the false pretense of seeking unity. Light and darkness cannot be unified. Paul, as Paul asked this, he asked this question, what fellowship has light with darkness? He asked that of the Christians there in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now, I'm going to read to you just a quote from some of her introduction that was on her podcast interview with Richard Rohr. Here's what her introduction says. Quote, speaking of heroes, if you know my guest today, you're probably freaking out because I am too. When I say he's one of the greats, I mean that in the most sincere possible way. If I sound a little verklempt right now, it's because I just finished the interview. I'm now recording the intro, and I finished this interview by crying my eyes out, trying to tell him how special and important he is to all of us. I'm not over it yet, because today we have on uh, Friar Richard Rohr. He is a Franciscan priest. He's the founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque. He's known around the world, I mean around the world, for the way he teaches about contemplation, radical compassion, and social equality. He's been on the front lines of social justice thought for decades, and he is literally one of our best teachers. His newest book is called The Universal Christ, which just came out, and we're going to talk a bit about it and hear his thoughts on it. It's not an exaggeration to tell you that Richard Rohr's work has been so deeply meaningful to me and has shown me truly things like I didn't even have the imagined for, frankly, end quote. That's from her series 16, episode 6 podcast. Now, there are other aspects of her beliefs, Jen Hatmaker's beliefs, for example, on sexuality and gender, the authority authority of Scripture, and others, um, as with those who hold to progressive theology that simply don't align with the whole counsel of God's Word. For one who professes to be a follower of Christ, yet not accept by faith that all Scripture is God-breathed, as the Apostle Paul affirms in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, is to dismiss Christ's high regard of the Scriptures, the law, the prophets, and wisdom writings of the Old Testament. Now, I could give you more examples of this, but I hope you're hearing this, and, and you're, as you are hearing it, you're seeing the dangers of the heretical views of progressive Christianity. Again, don't, don't take my word for it. Rather, measure what you read and hear and see over and against the whole of Scripture, and not just a few select verses that are carefully cherry-picked to justify a comfortable theology. Those who proclaim these heretical teachings are nothing more than wolves in sheep's clothing, cloaked as shepherds along a road that leads to a false salvation, which 
is not salvation at all. It's just the opposite. These are the ones who the Apostle Paul referred to when he asked the professing believers in Galatia, quote, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It's as though Paul is saying and asking, you were running this race so well, embracing and obeying the true gospel. Who put stumbling blocks in your way that caused you to abandon the truth and choose a path that leads to destruction? When I think of what Paul's saying, it reminds me of a, of a cartoon I used to watch when I was a kid. Maybe, maybe you saw this too if you're older, or maybe you're younger and you've seen this. I don't know. Maybe it's your grandparents' house. But it was the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show, and, and specifically the episodes of Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. Do you remember those? I mean, those were incredibly fun. They were so, so funny. Every cartoon theme was, was the same, though, right? You have Wile E. Coyote. He was always scheming to try and trick and capture the Roadrunner. And every episode ended the same way, that the Roadrunner always outsmarted Wile E. Coyote. There was one particular episode, remember, that where, where Wile E. Coyote painted a detour sign that was meant to lead the Roadrunner off a cliff. The sign worked, but the desired result failed. Well, in the same way, those who are seeking to persuade you with a false gospel are holding up detour signs that seem helpful, not harmful, but in reality are leading you over a theological and spiritual cliff. To be clear, though, unlike Wiley Coyote, I don't think they're seeking to be diabolical. They, more than likely, are they're nice people, the, the kind with whom you could sit down and enjoy a cup of coffee. But nonetheless, the different gospel they preach is from one who is diabolical and seeks nothing more than to trip you up and convince you that the detour sign he's holding is legit. But trust me, it's not. Paul wrote this to the Galatians, and, and, and it's just as applicable to us today. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 8, he said this, This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You see, this persuasion is from the enemy, Satan. And he loves to take the gospel and try to reinvent it as a cheap knockoff. It only takes a slight change to make what is genuine counterfeit. And the only way you can often tell what is fake from what is genuine or what is a lie from what is true is by careful examination and knowledge of what is true and genuine. Tim Challies, who's pastor of Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, Canada, after he visited the Bank of Canada to see if, in fact, the illustration that's often used regarding the best way to detect counterfeit money is by knowing what authentic money looks like, he said this, Training in identifying counterfeit currency begins with studying genuine money. There are certain identifying characteristics that are added to each bill printed by the Bank of Canada. These characteristics are necessarily difficult to reproduce. Some are intended to stump the casual counterfeiter, armed with no more than a scanner and color laser printer. And some will stump the more serious counterfeiter, even if armed with expensive high-tech equipment. The currency expert at the Bank of Canada summarized the approach to distinguishing a genuine bill with the phrase, touch, tilt, look at, and look through. And you talk about a great grid through which to look at any teaching over and against Scripture so as to know the truth. What if we took time consistently, which is more than just a Sunday morning, by the way, and touched, tilted, looked at, and looked through the Word of God. Without a doubt, we would grow in our understanding of God. We would grow in our knowledge of the truth and be more discerning as to what is counterfeit. In addition to that, we, we would be transformed by His Word, conformed to the image of Christ, and more effective in our witness to the world because the Word examined, studied, meditated, and obeyed always produces Christ-like character and Christ-exalting awe. 
Every follower of Christ should examine and test what they see, what they hear, and what they read to see if it aligns with all of Scripture, not just verses taken out of context. As well, cleverly said statements and cleverly and creatively written words need to be parsed and evaluated rather than quickly embraced. Here's what I, I want us to really think on, that the mystical and mysterious has a way of drawing us in and intriguing us. But not all that is mystical and mysterious is of God. As a matter of fact, God has not made it hard for us to know him and the gospel hope he has revealed to us in Christ and his redemptive work. Paul was telling the Epicureans and the Stoics this in the, in the, in the book of Acts chapter 17. There, there are many ways in which the enemy seeks to deceive us, one of which is theology that seems unifying and utopic, but in truth is divisive and destructive. Deconstructed truth is always easier to embrace and swallow, but in reality, what you embrace is the bondage of deception's chains, and what you swallow is the toxic lies of an evil foe. So dear friends, as you're listening, I just want to encourage you, Contend for the faith by knowing the truth. Hold fast to what is biblically true and quickly let go of what is not. Now, please know I'm not attacking the persons of Richard Rohr, Rob Bell, Jen Hatmaker, or any other who holds to a progressive theology, but I most certainly will attack the false teaching they proclaim. I pray that the Spirit of God will draw them deeper into the Word and that as He illuminates the whole counsel of the Scriptures, their eyes may be open to the truth. But I also pray that will be true of each of us as we seek God in his word. I just want to thank you so much again for listening to this episode as we've talked about progressive Christianity. Part two, we're going to be looking at more uh, of what progressive Christians believe and how we need to contend for the faith as followers of Jesus. Once again, if you like this, if it's encouraged you and you feel it would be helpful to others, I want to ask you to share this on your um, platforms that you use in social media um, and and point them to um, the truth of Scripture, what God's Word is saying. So thank you again for joining me on this episode of Crossroads and Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. I look forward to you joining me again next week as we talk more about progressive Christianity on Crossroads and Culture.